my name is Crispina French and promoting creative textile reuse is my jam. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business and here I am today to show you how to do it too. Stick around for all the things helping to navigate both the chaotic and dreamy chapters of building your profitable textile upcycling business. We'll talk material sourcing, business savvy, product development, marketing, and self-care. Gloss over the hard parts? Not here. Experience, lessons, and know-how. Deep dive into the struggles, wins, and rewards of running your sustainable textile upcycling business. Think of this as your favorite craft class mixed with environmental business school. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Are you a textile-centric crafter who loves vintage yardage, unusual fabrics, notions, and sewing tools and tutorials? Maybe you are a sewing teacher in need of cool and inexpensive cloth for students. Whether sewing high-end bespoke couture or experimenting with new textile making processes, SwansonsFabrics.com, located in the heart of Turner's Falls, Massachusetts, has just what you need. You can shop online or at the very well-organized and jam-packed store. Swanson's Fabrics is a thrift shop of fabric, notions, and textile tools. It's a community repurposing the leftover collections of home sewers, addressing the reality that we have enough fabric and craft supplies for generations stored right in our very own attics and closets. Swanson's makes it very easy to pass on an excessive fabric stash and find inspirational treasure for sewing projects. Additionally, Katherine Swanson hosts an online group for entrepreneurs interested in using her business model for fabric thrift stores in their communities. Find Swanson Fabrics at swansonfabrics.com and on TikTok and Instagram. Hi out there at Rags to Riches podcast listeners. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you to somebody I've been following around for many years, actually. Um, and I'm so excited to get to meet and chat with Lou Mason. Lou makes the most amazing and quite comical, humorous, awesome rag rugs. And she lives over in Yorkshire, UK, in the town of York. So Lou, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for that nice introduction. It's good to meet oh, you. Oh, so yeah, I'm so excited to actually pick your brain a little bit. Can you um, can you talk a little bit about the rugs that you make and just give people a little background about what they look like and how you what your process is? Um, so I make rugs in I suppose it's more an American tradition, the looped pile rather than a shaggy pile. Um, I, I come from Yorkshire, and in Yorkshire, the traditional rugs have a shaggier pile. It's a very different process, but they're still rag rugs. So I make the pile that you're used to in America, where it's loops. And so I, it's like a hooked, a hooking yeah, process? Yeah, like a hooky, yeah. And we, mm -hmm. we have made them in this country historically, but not as much as the uh, the, the clippy mats, um, mm -hmm. what they're called. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, the rugs... The typical Yorkshire rugs are called, you know, rag rugs, clippy mats, 
or proddies or proggies, depending on where you come from. I mean, I'm going into a history lesson now. Is, is this okay? Do you want That's to- fine. Yeah, teach so, me what yeah, you got. You know, it's sort of the rugs in the UK, particularly in the north of England, were made from necessity. They weren't made because it's a nice thing to do. But they were made for um, cold cottages in the north of England, uh, cold cottages that had stone flagged floors, no carpets, no central heating, just a sort of a, a, a coal fire. And um, a lot of the people that made them worked in the Yorkshire woolen mills and would be given bags of offcuts, which they would then cut into pieces and poke through Hessian to make a shaggy pile. These drugs are incredibly warm. And very and, and quite long lasting, and um, quite beautiful. But the colours available were quite dark. Um, so it, there are a lot of browns and navy blues and blacks, and maybe a splash of a red diamond in the middle. That that's a classic Yorkshire rug, and and not only Yorkshire but like northeast more Newcastle area. And uh-huh. uh, so they still... And what was the size typically? Were they kind of like big or small? Like how, what yeah, size? hearth rug size. Hearth rug, okay. okay. Size. And they yep. were, the story goes that they would start off on the top of the bed to keep you warm. And then they would go as a bedside rug. And then when they were a bit warm, they would go downstairs as a hearth rug. And then when they were kind of even more knackered, they would go in the kitchen and end up, uh, you know, in the in the dog basket. So they'd go right round. So we, they were just used till they fell apart. That's the kind yeah. of tradition of rug making in the North of England. And I love that. And I think that's really inspiring. And I've made quite a lot of, they're called clippy mats, you know. But um, I, I choose, I prefer, much prefer making the hooky because, um, it's easier and you can really get get going with the design and um, it, it uses less rag actually and there's less cutting up and so I, I favor that as a process and I I make they're quite chunky um, I don't really go for very very fine work but that's just my style and I do make quite big rugs as well as small rugs um, I think the whole idea of a hearth rug is quite interesting because, a lot of modern houses don't have fireplaces now. They don't have mantelpieces now. You know, the heating systems are such that there isn't like a, a a warm center to the house where you sit around. Or the warm center right. to the house where you sit, sit around now tends to be the telly. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I like the idea of making a rug it, which is – it, you can't call it a hearth rug now for houses that haven't got hearths, but it's like a warm center of the house. So yeah. I'm, I'm sort of interested in that whole idea. In creating that, right? It's like creating that. that sit yeah. around and feel at home around. I mean, I'm interested in the whole idea of home as well, actually, and what home yeah. means to yeah. different people and represents the different people. And so I think there's potential for rugs to be the warm heart of a house. Um, that's awesome that I love that used to be but um so I make all sorts of rugs with words in or with patterns in or with figures in or with imagery from nature or, or all sorts of rugs 
That's the kind. And it's, I love the sense of color that you haven't even mentioned. Like you have this wackadoodle sense well, of color I, that I just I, can't I, get enough of. See, I don't really think it is wackadoodle at all. I mean, <laughs> I, I suppose what I'm saying is we are so lucky because in the old days, as I mentioned to you before, our forebearers that made rag rugs had a very, very limited palette to work in. Uh, clothes were scarce. You couldn't go to the charity shop or the thrift store and sort of buy a bag of clothes because, you you know, people didn't have many clothes and the clothes that they had were probably made locally. And, you know, that so much has changed. And, you know, fast fashion and techniques of dyeing cloth and, you know, the availability which and a lot of it is bad. You know, it's bad because dyeing cloth uses far too much water and chemicals. And fast fashion, you know, it encourages um, uh, um, taking advantage of, of cheap labor and it encourages bad practices in many ways. But, but, but what we have is this treasure chest of color which our yeah. didn't have. So I'm always trying to sort of think of, you know, the people who made drugs before us that, for example, the man who, ra- who had the vegetable shop at the bottom of the road, when he found out I made rag rugs, he described how his mum used to make them out of their old clothes. But occasionally in the village, someone from the local hunt would give her a hunting pink. Do you know what a hunting pink is? It's a woolen, I think I bright red jacket that hunting people wore. And if you were given one of those, it's, you know, really good quality wool, but it's red. And how yeah. exciting it was for her to have something red. So anyway, it's the red diamonds in the middle of the rug. Is that yeah, where they came yeah, from? Yes, so I, I often think about that. So I, I love that. I love that use of color. Also, um, quite often when I go, you know, rag hunting, there's a sort of a level at which you're thinking there's a sort of like an archaeological level of rags, which are probably from the last five years. And then a bit below that is maybe from 10 years, 15. And about five years ago, fluorescent colours were really popular among kids. So, you know, I get all this because they don't, they've either grown out of them or fluorescent's gone. But I I love it because it's like, oh, yeah. And so I've... um, I really enjoy putting a bit of fluorescent in, um, especially if it suits the subject matter. Uh, yeah, yeah. I made some punk crowns and I put lots of, you know, fluorescent in. But also one of the people I share a studio with, he makes collages and he's successful. He's pretty successful. Of all of us, he's really successful. And he, his college collages are ripped up bits of paper. Mine are sort of cut up pieces of cloth. So we have a lot of common ground and he's very good at walking over to me and saying just put a bit of orange there or how look at these two colors look how vibrant they are together so yeah. we sort of rub off on each other and that that's really helped me so it's, just, it's that's awesome to have that kind of community and that kind of like um, kind of input right from somebody else who really understands the 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 process, right? In a different different media, but like similar yeah. like visual. And the that's importance so cool. of differentiating background to foreground. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Up, linking them up yeah. in a way. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. How did you get interested in, in making rugs to start with? Like what brought you to carpets and rugs? To um, Well, it was really, um, I, I, I love pattern making and I've always painted patterns. Um, and it was, I, I just haven't got the patience. I, I, I sew and I knit, but I'm not very good. But rug making appealed to me uh, because I saw these clippy mats in Yorkshire and I thought, I'm going to have a go at that. So it was making the, you know, the tufted ones with all the ends sticking up. It was seeing them around. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're, quite, they're quite rough and ready and they're easy to do. And they're not finickety. And, mm-hmm. and they're not sort of incredibly neat. And so all those things appealed to me. And also I had two really, I had a baby and, a, and then I had another baby and, so you can pick it up and put it down and it's not going to unravel and you don't have to count where you are on the row. And so that appealed to me too. Um, yeah. And we did live in quite a cold house and we didn't have carpets. And, and <laughs> you know, so all those things appealed to me. But um, and then when I really got going with them, of course, I did find out that my – well, I knew actually, I knew that my mother's uncle made rag rugs. I mean, I've told you that. Have I told you that? No, no, no. My mother's American um, from the East Coast and uh, her family, her great, no, her uncle, which is my great uncle, whose name was Theodore Sizer, made rag rugs. Oh, Uh, in the uh, States or or in in the UK? No, no, no. He, he, uh, Connecticut. Oh. um, So I always knew that. And in fact, when I was about 19 or 18, I did a bit of a roots trip to America and I went to see, um, he'd already died, but my, his wife went to visit her and I saw his rugs and I found out about his rugs and I always kind of remembered them. And his daughter has really archived his work magnificently and sends, has sent me everything, all the images of his rugs. And they've always been in my head when I really kind of put two and two together and I and then I sort of started making the style that he makes and um, or made. He never made the rugs to sell. He made them to give to families and to give to people. So they're uh-huh. very personal rugs, and huh. they're probably much finer than mine actually. Uh, uh-huh. And he put he was he was an uh, you know he was an artist, and he uh, his calligraphy is fantastic, and so the words are. You know they're absolutely um, astounding rugs, and and so I've sort of spent a lot of time looking at his work, and How I, cool. I, I don't cool. come anywhere near his level of expertise, but I do something different. Yeah, you know, you've taken it and made it your own process, yeah, and yeah. kind I of mean, created he, a. So, and I know more about the American tradition, I suppose, because my mother's sister has sent me some books and. I know about the rugs that were made in Labrador and, uh, you know, parts of Canada. And I, I, I know more about the American rugs in a way because they've been better documented than our rugs because yeah. a lot of the American rugs were made to be handed down, like, yeah. whereas our rugs were made to be walked on and, and didn't well, that's one thing I've heard about, you know, people who eat quilts, like traditional quilts in, in the United States, there's like this, you know, 
there's beautiful quilts and the ones that are well-preserved were the ones that were from very wealthy households because yeah. the people who made them to use, use them and they got worn out. And like yeah. you said, they wound up maybe in the dog basket, yeah. right? Like yeah. they kind of did the, um, the truly um, circular uh, um yeah process of, of being in use. So that's really cool. And I wonder, like, I know that traditionally rugs are made from, uh, you know, used clothing and like bits and ends and like the mill waste that you mentioned yeah. at the beginning of just like, that's where the people got their fabric from. And I wonder if there was um, a point where you became interested in, you know, upcycling fabric uh, was it because of the rugs or were you interested in the rugs because you were interested in upcycling well, when clothing, like, which, I've yeah. always been an addict of what we used to, well, we still call jumble sales. I mean, since I was 14, you know, yeah. every, every village hall or church hall or school hall had jumble sales to raise money for charity. And yeah. I've always enjoyed rummaging and finding things. And, you know, most of my clothes are from that. And they always have been. And I yeah. used to buy clothes and dye them or chop them or add bits to them or take bits away from them because they were so cheap and you could try things out or you could try something out that wouldn't be something you would normally wear. So I've always clothed myself in that way and and fill the, fill the house with, you know, all my pots and everything. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, jumble sales is where I go. So the idea of going to jumble sales to buy the materials from which to make something really appealed to me rather than going to a knitting shop and spending a lot of money on yarn. And then, you know, I, I, because half the time, you know, I'd come home, you know, with the pram loaded with rags to cut up and end up maybe wearing half of them and then, cut them up or, you know, so like a, it's an interchangeable thing, what I wear and what I cut up. Yeah, I know. I remember this is a funny story. I was, um, I, my family, when my kids were younger, we went to Ireland and Oddly enough, my mom's American as well, and my dad was from Ireland. So we traveled back and forth a bunch. And um, we were at this kind of fancy evening out. It was my husband and I. And, um, you know, he put his arm around me at one point. I was kind of chilly. And he's like, oh, there's a giant hole in the back of your dress. And I'm like, what? Like, I just bought a new dress. And he said, well, I saw Lucy with the scissors. And, you know, how could you get upset with this little three-year-old kid who just oh saw God. me cutting stuff up all the time? <laughs> and thankfully, I had like a little shawl I could wear over the hole in my oh dress. No. Like, you know, there is there are like um, unforeseen dangers to um, having sure. that fluidity, right? Is it material? Yeah, is it a garment I'm wearing? Is it going to be a rug? What is it? You know, the yeah. kids get confused. But um, yeah. we're going to take a little break right now. Um, we are talking with Lou Mason from Lou Mason Rugs, Rag Rug and um, we're going to come right back. This episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by The Unruffled. The Unruffled is a vibrant and feminine collection of slow-made garments and accessories handmade with love by Sandra Primo. Sandra is based in Austin, Texas, and every item she makes is thoughtfully constructed from finely sourced, reused textiles, favoring silks and lace and crochet. Bespoke, one of one, encouraging an infinite circle of recovery. Step into the world of The Unruffled at www.theunruffled.com. 
And visit the show notes page for this episode at rags to riches textile upcycling podcast.com for links and more information. All right, we're back with Lou Mason, based over in Yorkshire, the UK, where she has a, um, kind of followed and chronicled for us the tradition of rag rugs in her um, culture. It sounds like it's a pretty localized tradition, too, like just in your little neck of the woods. Is that true? Um, I, d- I don't know. D- I don't really know. I don't really know whether they made yeah. rag rugs in the south of England, to be honest, but it's a yeah. North England thing. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, it's like you were saying to start with, like a lot of these traditions that we now look back on and collect because they're such mm. beautiful kind of folk art um, pieces that that can fa- be found were started for necessity. They were just, you know, the, the floor was cold <laughs> and people wanted not to be cold. So they made rag rugs. And um, if, could you talk a little bit more about, we've talked a little bit about your process and about your, you know, th- when I see your work, I, I think of it as like this sort of beautiful marriage of primitive and very fine. And I, I, I would love to just um, talk a little bit about, you know, when you, where you come, how you find the imagery, what your, what your inspiration is, what your kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose I, cause I've always enjoyed painting patterns, repeat patterns, pretending I was a, a textile designer, really, you know, yeah. <laughs> surface patterns. <laughs> So um, I I do love that sort of repeat of in, of symbols and images that don't really necessarily mean anything, but are fun to play with. So my love of patterns is is one place. Um, a bit like my uncle Tubby. If I'm making a rug for someone, I like to incorporate you know something that's meaningful to them. But um, I've done a lot of work with cut paper over the years as well. Um, a lot of installation work, and and my cut paper has definitely informed my rug making. So, for example, I made uh, about 30 life-size figures in cut paper of sort of costumed, slightly historical figures, and I've replicated them in rag rugs. Uh, At least four or five of them I've done as rag rugs. So um, so patterns, um, the cut paper figures... Cut paper flowers, I've done lots of cut paper flowers as hangings. That's really informed me. Um, So there's also like a tradition, um, which is I'm sure the same in America, I know it is, of, you know, embroidery work that was maybe done 100 or or long, you know, always been done by women, women's work of embroidering very neatly um, something like, in God we trust, you know, some words which are righteous and religious, maybe. And um, I like that sort of slightly subverting that by 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 putting things in, but by using words and making a sort of a statement, but not not something necessarily biblical or or anything like riot or um, yeah. Um, all things are possible. Although actually, all things are possible comes from a gospel song. Um, so, in fact, it is it is biblical. Um, home together. I make yeah. it one at the moment that actually says everything to everybody because that actually that's from a quote, but it's more Marxist than Bible. Which is now is the time to give. No, now is the time to give everything to everybody, and I'm just going to do everything to everybody. I'm not doing now is the time because yeah. it's powerful. Um, yeah, 
Welcome is a very powerful word. That's an, I mean, it's traditional as well. Yeah. If you, yeah. It's so cool. That's what I like. I love how you put like welcome, like, yeah, welcome. Matt. Now, welcome like, is supposed you know. to also look like a 50s diner or a jukebox, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Do, or like to me, yeah. the, the one that I'm thinking of, the rug I um, am thinking of in my head, it reminds me of like um, a game board. Yeah. That's, that's like, welcome. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's like a jukebox or like a. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, so. But it's, like the imagery and the color and the texture is like, I, yeah. there's just this combination that happens in your work that's just so. Like there's, you know, that yeah, there's history and yeah, there's nostalgia, but there's like this, this primitive mashing with, mm. um, like maybe it's righteousness. Maybe that's the word I'm seeking. Like, it's just beautiful. Oh, not necessarily like, it's righteousness, but something that has actually, that actually means something that's not just, yeah. it's not just throw away. It's something I've thought about. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, not everything I mean, I just, I, like that. Not everything. I mean. But um, also there's a bit of like my uncle Tubby. Uh, and so he was quite, you know, he would do, he made himself a rug uh, with a little portrait of his face with his twirly moustache saying, and so to bed. And uh, he made one for his wife's side of the bed saying, mum's the boss. And, you know, so he was <laughs> kind of, but they're, they're beautifully made, fantastic calligraphy. Yeah. And, and sometimes he'd put Latin words in because he was kind of really good at all that kind of thing. So, and he's, he did a fun, you know, fantastic welcome rugs. He did a rug that said waste not want not with all his bits left over. And so he used words, um, you know, in, in, in a really uh, kind of different, very different to the English tradition. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's and not all about words, and it's not all about having to mean something. Sometimes it's just about, like, in you know, enjoying. Like I've just made one, which is an, like a real explosion of color from a star, and it's that it's supposed to be that sort of warm center of of a house. You know, I, I love that. I love that that um, just not the possibility of a rug creating that. It's just so. Beautiful. And then also for me, like the textile, the, the recycled aspect of it is like mm. the warm center of the house ha is made from all these different people's stuff, yeah. right? Like it's just, I don't know, there's just like this thread that, yeah. that just kind of continues through the whole process and the story and the history that really makes it that warm center. I don't quite know what I'm going to, how I'm going to do it, but, you know, I often think, because I look at the labels on on the in fact i've made a rug of a dress um which is like a dress on a hanger and i've left all the ends sticking up so you can really see that the dress is made out of clothes you can really see mm -hmm. that even a label on one of the bits of cloth sticking out which i've never i'm going to exhibit it like that but obviously it's going to look much better once i cut all the bits off but once you cut all the bits off you can't then do that, but I'm doing it as, as a sort of a way of... It's like the secret is gone. It's like you're letting people yeah. into the secret, but right? Also, like the but also I'm acknowledging the fact, I don't know, there's something about many hands have gone through the making of the clothes that have gone into the rugs. So it's yeah. kind of making it a little bit more visible. And really what I should do is I should leave all the labels on that say made in Bangladesh or made in um, India or made in Pakistan or or made in China or, you know, I, that's really what I should do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I thought of that too late and it was, you know, but then. So, oh, I wonder if you could put them on the back. 
You know, maybe pull the ends through to the back and then so yeah. that they are still there, but they're, you, the rug yeah. is, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's really beautiful. I mean, I, I do use blankets as well, and I always cut the labels off blankets because blanket labels are really something else, you know. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. So, but I often wonder about, you know, for example, I live quite near a town called Bradford, which has a really big um, Asian community. And it has fantastic sari shops and, you know, and I know that recycled saris is quite a thing. People make shopping bags out of them and, you know, but I, I, I quite like the idea of making something using cloth that is not from my culture. I don't know. Yeah. I don't yeah. quite know what, what, I, but it's like thinking more of the cloth as well as my own stuff, yeah. thinking about where yeah. does the cloth come from. What are the, yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about the word home and I, I've, I've done a rug which says home, but I I was thinking about what home means. I mean, I've always, the rug I made that says home is in, home is in a sort of a boat shape and we've, it's got waves all around it. We have a lot of going on with um, refugees coming to this country in small boats. And I, I was just thinking home, you know, their home is that boat for that very dangerous yeah. country. I was thinking, you know, that whole thing of, is home, is it where, you what is it that makes somewhere home is it because it's got colors or smells that make you right. feel at home or is it because the people that i mean you know so yeah. there's there's kind of something that i'd like to explore with other people you know yeah. sort of group yeah thing about what home yeah. means and anyway it's just ideas you know yeah, it's really cool. I remember I, I, one of the things that I love, I mean, I, I mentioned a little bit about how, you know, the pieces, I, I make a blanket that has um, 320 or no, 404, I can't remember. It's 23 by 23 squares. So there's yeah. a lot of squares. Yeah. And I sometimes when I'm making it, I think if every single one of those squares was from a different sweater, yeah. And uh, there would be that many people represented in this blanket. And then you think about like, okay, that was the person who wore the sweater. Then you think about the person who made the sweater or the person who gave the person oh, the sweater, yeah. you know, there's so many so like, tentacles many. of connection. Yeah, right? That's the extraordinary thing about textiles and they're worn close to the skin. But yeah, yeah. So to get back to why I do the designs I do. I mean, I have, I've got various ongoing projects and, and one is the word welcome, which I want to do in other languages, but I haven't done it yet. Another is portraits of, of women who've, who were sort of iconic to me. So I've done a, a very wonderful Brazilian footballer called Marta Vieira da Silva, who's kind of broken boundaries. I've done a portrait of a musician called Sister Rosetta Tharp. I've done a portrait of a Ukrainian artist um, whose name has just escaped me, but whose a lot of her work nearly got destroyed in the beginning of the the, the war, but was saved. And uh, apologies that I just can't think of what her name is, but we'll put it in the show notes when um yes, when you think of it. Yes, we'll, yes, yeah, I could Google yeah. it right now actually in a minute. But yeah. um, um, I've done a portrait of a sort of like a musical juggler whose name was Kathy Golteri. You know, I'm sort of always looking at people who who I want to represent, but they're thinking, and I've done Angel, I've done, you know. So the, the big ones, which are the figures, which are sort of like one and a half metres high, they take a long time. It's like a, a month. So there's only so yeah. many 
There's only yeah. so many that I can that I can do. So small. So I sort of like to do a combination, really. And and then I get orders. Um, yeah. And orders are difficult. Orders yeah. are really difficult when someone wants something. So, for example, I made a couple of crowns to celebrate. Um, to celebrate the jubilee recently but they're kind of really off beat crowns they're not sort of like regal they're not like conventional are they crowns like on a rug or are they crowns to yeah, put yeah, on, no, no, on a rug and somebody oh, okay. ordered one that wanted one and i i didn't get the colors right for what she had in mind and then you realize it's really different with rag rugs because you, you know, you don't quite – so I, I'm a bit wary of doing orders because yeah, somebody's yeah, and I think, an yeah. idea in their head and you don't really yeah. quite get it or they don't quite get you. That, yeah. That's the only time. To be fair, that's the only time that's happened. But, yeah, you know. Yeah. So. But it is disheartening when you spend – you know, and also I think that, you know, I think that customers sometimes need to be interviewed and, like, you know, culled. Like if somebody doesn't want to allow you the creative freedom to do – the colors that speak to you in that moment, then they probably, you yeah. know, haven't found the right maker. They so need to get a different her name, Maria Primachenko. Oh. Maria Primachenko. Oh. So yeah. She's yeah. I mean, she's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic yeah. paintings. Kind of quite folk arty. Yeah. Yes. I've and actually, I, I read I've about her. There's a few yeah. rugs that were, that have been inspired by her. That's awesome. And then the other thing that I think is the, the hysterically funny ones, the ones where it's like a garment and you hold it up in front of yeah. your body, like you're wearing it. It's just like, I don't know. I think, was there one that was like a t-shirt? The two jumper, well, I made three jumper rugs. I mean, I, I've sold them all, but um, that was because I went to an exhibition in Edinburgh that, uh, of knitwear and it was just a wonderful exhibition. And they had a wall of fair isle, fair isle tank tops and jumpers. And, and I love all that. I mean, I'm actually wearing a, tank top you know but I love all that kind of thing and then I thought I'm going to make it so yeah so and then my one of my studio pals said right just hold it up and snap 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 you know and, and it was just, dress been great well the, yeah, dress, the, really dress the, the dress is called rag trade and that's the one that I was explaining I've left all the bits on yeah, yeah. and it's also about power dressing and it's yeah <laughs> yeah it's very cool it's really really cool so i think that um what i'm hearing and what i'm learning is that like yes you make rugs but really what you make is art and you're there's like this this process and thought and sort of theory maybe even like a maybe it's a a, a philosophical um expression of your your desire to yeah uh, communicate through this very useful utilitarian center of the home warmth um, uh, thing, right? This this medium that's just that, and it all sort of works together. And I think that that's a really cool thing. Like you know, to be an artist and to work on your own and to know, like, yeah, a, a rug, you know, this size rug takes me a month. And, you know, I don't know, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, which it, maybe we should is like, have you ever thought about having somebody help you? Or is that something yes, that you're just no, like... When, in, when I was making them in the 80s, um, this, this girl, you know, in my town asked me if she could come and work with me. And so, yeah, she sort of came and cut up bits for me and it I don't know I mean I, I at the time I was sort of thinking yeah you know that's great but she didn't last very long I don't know why you know it didn't sort of work work out but um no I don't really want to do that because I don't really want to ever be a production line 
And I don't, it's not really a business, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, it doesn't yeah. really make a lot of business sense. It really doesn't. Yeah. 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 So it's, it, you're, you're, uh, you're an artist that sells your work and that's, that's beautiful. And, you know, one of the things that, that I talk a lot about with the people who I coach, the entrepreneurs, like there's a fine balance between making something that's, that feeds your soul. That's artful. That's like meaningful and, and really, uh, heartfelt versus, you know, producing and having like, Oh, I need to make 25 of this thing. Well, the, that heartfelt artful communication is sort of removed when you get to that point of deciding. And and that's kind of the path that I walked, you know, where, when my production started, my production company started, I was kind of in the middle of that. Like, is this art or is this uh, a production? And, you know, I guess that's where maybe craft, I don't know. I always hear the, I, you know, I, is it art I'm or is really wary of the sort of labeling of it all, you know? What, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of just like the feeling for yeah. me, you know, yeah, the feeling yeah. of, you yeah. know, the, the, you know, being, being like, for me, I was like, I hired a ton of people. I was like, okay, we're going to make this like a production and I'm going to give people jobs. And it was, uh, it, it removed the connection I had to the art of making. And mm-hmm. I, you, I found that in other, in other ways where it was separated from the, the product I was making. And, um, it was product at that point. And, and I think that that was the difference for me was like, just, um, feeling capable and willing to let go of that and, and, you know, it's, yeah. it's just like it's personal for everybody, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if you um, if you could see, like, foresee, like, you know, six six months or maybe more, like, say, two and a half, three years from now, and everything was just like going exactly how you would dream it up, is there something that would be different about what you're doing, or what do you think? Like, how would you like to see your work unfold for the yeah, world? I mean, in a way, I I think you know, if I if I showed my work in galleries more, that would be that would be great, and broke down some of those um, the prejudices against textile art in galleries. Um, so, and if I if I was lucky enough to win a competition, you know that would be great. If I got a residency somewhere, that would be fantastic. Um, I mean, I used to do lots of workshops, but I don't at the moment, but I wouldn't mind doing some workshops again. It depends on who with, you know, I'm quite interested in working with people to, you know, for, I don't know. I really don't know, but I'd like to think that I had something going with maybe a group of maybe some refugees, that kind of thing. I'd quite like to do that. Um, I'd I'd love to be, you know, someone say, we're awarding you a residency of a month in the Outer Hebrides to stay in this cottage and make rugs. I mean, that would be fantastic. Or, um, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a rug in the Royal Academy Summer Show in London, which was sort of put me in touch with a really different kind of community because um, it's it's mainly paintings. And yeah. uh, that was really, you know, that that was a real honour. So if, if anything else like that came along, that would be... You know, that would be really nice. Um, it's nice when I can sort of like tell my story without feeling I have to fit into certain boxes. Um, so yeah. two or three years from now, I, I'd like to think that I can, I'm, I'm just still doing it. 
<laughs> awesome. Yeah, I hope so because I, I it just every, I find your work just to be super captivating and really inspiring on so many levels. So thank you so much for spending your time with us and sharing about your story and the history of, of your process is just so super helpful to have. And thank you. It was really, really lovely. Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the rags to riches textile upcycling podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Van Dalhyasen. If you want to dive in deep, head over to rags to riches textile upcycling podcast.com. 